Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. And welcome in Wednesday edition of GC Live. It is Gamecock Central Live. I am Wes Mitchell. He is Chris Clark. Again, brought to you by AffordableMedicalUSA.com at 803-926-1493. They are home of the game day chair. And GC Live is home of myself, Wes Mitchell, and this guy, Chris Clark, who is rocking his black Gamecock Central Under Armour shirt. I like that thing, man. I, I don't have a black one. So, oh, you're a little jealous of my black shirt. I'm very jealous of that GC shirt. You can borrow it sometime. I appreciate that, man. What's up to the GC Live fam in the chat? We need we need a name for the chat. I feel like because the chat is where it's at. If you if you're listening on the podcast, don't get me wrong. We appreciate you very much, and that is a great way, especially when you're BSing around at work, or maybe you're in the car and and just want to listen to something other than the radio, it's a great way to do it, and it saves your data. But the YouTube chat during the show, live at 2 p.m., is where it's at and where our most, I would like to think our most loyal folks are. It's kind of been a weird week, I feel like, because I would dare say among the Gamecock fan base, not not much talk about the Ole Miss game, (laughs) It, it seems to be. But we're, we're still going to talk Ole Miss. We have a job to do, um, talk about the upcoming game. Compared to every other week this season so far, there's been as little talk about the actual game as at any other point in the season. It's kind of weird, Chris. 100%. And it's just a product of where we are. You know, um, Gamecock fans are looking much more big picture right now, which prompts – some of the conversation to turn towards big picture, you know, the vast majority of questions that we've been fielding here on the chat for Gamecock Central Live <clears throat> on Ask Chris on the Insiders Forum, social media, wherever people are throwing questions at us, it always is now revolving around the future of the program, right? The state of the program uh, is much more big picture. Um, a zoomed out view than what's going to happen against Ole Miss this weekend because people, you know, are increasingly pessimistic about the chances of the season. There's not a lot of talk about either that game or the rest of the games this year. A lot of people are wondering what is going to happen with this program. And of course, the game is relevant because it is a game, number one. And number two, that could help tell the story. Um, in some form or fashion about where things do go from here. We know that. Uh, But I understand fully why the fan base is focusing more on that, on that sort of big picture view. It's understandable because people are very frustrated and they're wondering about the future. Yeah, we certainly understand that. And so there, there have been, I would say other than the big picture stuff, the biggest question and, and topic of conversation with the fan base this week has been, I would say centered around the quarterback position and and what's going to happen there moving forward. Can somebody provide a spark there? Um, And by the way, if, if Carolina fans, and I don't want to speak for all of you, but certainly some of you, 
if Carolina fans aren't interested in the game on Saturday, then I got to say I don't think you are alone because I just watched and listened to Lane Kiffin's press conference for the first time earlier today, and I don't think he's interested in the game either. If you – I mean, I know coaches – Inevitably, some of them dislike media settings and dislike that part of the job. And and Lane is as unique of a coach as we have right now in the business. But, dude, do you, do you remember the FA, FAU uh, spot he did where he was just like – and it got spread around on Twitter. He was just like, come on out to the game Saturday <laughs> Yeah, I remember that. Super pumped up. And then he said, Oh, you know, it was a joke. I'm I was like in on it type thing. Which maybe he was. But dude, listen to this. Back to work uh, after the bye weekend. So we're back to normal schedule. Monday practice today. Got a head start last week with some stuff, so that part's good and we'll just keep keep watching. Um Opponents played really well at times this year, and um, I think has you know some really good players, and uh, gives some people some problems up front with a lot of different movements and stunts, and some really good <clears throat> rushers on third down. So you know <clears throat> we're gonna have to play play really well. Question for coach. John starts off. I left it going at the end just so you could get the. Yeah, yeah. But man, that that might as well have been a literal just template for any coach playing any team ever to give an opening statement. Uh, they got some good players. Um, they've played pretty good games at times. At times, yeah. Uh, got to play well. He he would he wanted to be anywhere else than right there. So I I don't know. Maybe it's not just the South Carolina fan base. Um, maybe Lane isn't interested in the game on Saturday either. But just, hey, the SEC. If you're an SEC fan, you're going to have to get excited for the game because right now it's one of only a few games that are actually still on the table for Saturday. Lane Lane conducted that press conference with the excitement of someone that's like going to clean a porta potty after a 100 degree game <laughs> in September or something. I mean, yeah, that was something else. He is very unique. Like if you've talked to people that have been around lane, like work with him or just have gotten to know him a little bit, that's the word that they always use. He's just, he's just a different cat. You know, he's not super like he doesn't work 200 hours a week. Like he disconnects sometimes and, and, when he's on the field, he's, I mean, he's in it, you know, he gets very, he's very excitable on the field. He's really engaged, but yeah, press conferences do not appear to be one of his favorite things based on that. No, that, that, that was fun though. That was, that was awesome. I started watching. I, I just busted out laughing. I was like, this guy is, his brain is literally somewhere. You could not have given a more generic <laughs> opening. That might as well have been the opening. If they, if they have a new EA sports video game at, at any point ever, and they have like a, a press conference 
um, part in there at the beginning. It, that could just be the recorded audio for every single opening for every single game. I, I like the uh, delivery. The delivery was even funnier than what he said, you know? Yes. Like, uh, like he mm-hmm. just was trying to, ah, oh, crap, I got to come up with something to say. What do I, I'll oh, just throw out this, like, coach speak type of thing. They got some good pass rushers. They do some things. <laughs> Lane, Lane, so Lane used to be entertaining because of like he said too much, like the way he said it, and he he ran his mouth too much, and now he's entertaining <laughs> because he like <laughs> he, he does yeah he seemed like he was a little bit on 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 a you know he was a little a little down he's on another level. Yeah, um, yeah, or maybe he maybe he was on another level. That was from from Monday. Maybe he had a little too much of a Sunday fun day in Oxford, okay, and was a little bit slow moving on Monday coming off the bye week. Slow moving <laughs> is my guess. What time was uh, that? What time was that press? <laughs> I don't know. Is it in the morning, uh, we'll have to find that out. Yeah. So, yeah that that was different, man. That that was different. But he did. He talked a little bit about the the game, and they they even asked him. They asked him about the quarterbacks and the difference in the two quarterbacks. And he literally was like, "I haven't watched them." <laughs> so, because you know he's an offensive guy, so yeah. he's like, he's like, we we game plan for the the defensive side already. He's like, I haven't watched their quarterbacks yet. Um, like, okay, that's that's you cool. But you think he's trolling people like with that? Like I wouldn't put it past him. Maybe, maybe I don't know, man. I I didn't think that was him. <laughs> but but so when I posted that, somebody commented and said, um, and said, uh, does he always talk like this? Um, I was like, I, I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. I don't normally watch Lane Kiffin press conferences, but maybe, maybe I should. Maybe I should, I should do that if you want to be put to sleep on a on a Monday, but. He, he did. He talked about a couple of things. I think the sc- the scary thing, other than the matchup for South Carolina here, is that you know he he talked about this is another Saban tree defense that he'll be facing from a scheme standpoint, and I'm I'm convinced that Kiffin, for one, got the Alabama job just as a long-term play to be able to troll Saban for the rest of his coaching life and that he wanted the inside information on, on how to stop Saban, how to defeat Saban, basically. And we, we, saw, we saw Lane with now, – now, don't get me wrong, man, before I say this. Yes, he inherited a team that was not good last year, but – he inherited a team that has some offensive weapons to work with. So it's not like he's doing it with nothing. I think that's worth pointing out. But he's taking these guys, and he, I mean, he went up and down the field on Alabama's defense earlier this year. Yeah. So from a scheme standpoint, and not that, you know, when, when a coach leaves a place, he puts his own wrinkles on it. This is not the same exact scheme that you'd see watching Alabama, but it does come philosophically from the same tree, basically. So I don't really know that South Carolina will have a whole lot that 
Chiffin's, you know, never seen before or anything like that. Yeah, and I mean, you go back. So this is something we talk about a lot. You can't, you can't just say, well, because Lane did it at, with Ole Miss against Alabama, or because Lane did it at Alabama against Florida when Muschamp was there, that it'll be the same this time. But th- this is the biggest concern going into this game, right? Because, I mean, we know Ole Miss has offensive talent that can really hurt you. The running backs with Ely, the receivers, the tight end Kenny Yaboa, who's going to be a Senior Bowl guy. Uh, grad transfer for them who's been really, really good. The quarterbacks with the dual threat ability, throwing the ball downfield, the tempo. A lot of the things that South kind of struggled with this year is what they're going to see from Ole Miss. And then you do have to account for, I think, the fact that Lane Kiffin has had success. You know, you look at uh, what he's done against some – now, we talked about this yesterday. Will Muschamp doesn't administer his defense in the exact same way that Nick Saban does or Kirby Smart does, but – on the back end in the secondary, there's some carryover. And so Lane, for whatever reason, and maybe it is a familiarity with Saban, and just because he's a he's a good OC, and Jeff Levy also at Ole Miss, who's very involved there as the offensive coordinator, you know, they've done a good job in exploiting some of those things. You know, I go back to, now is this Ole Miss team Alabama circa 2014? No. You know, uh, there's no T.J. Yeldon, Kenyon Drake, and, and – uh, you know, Derrick Henry on the team and Amari Cooper, you know, that team was elite. But you look at when they played Florida in 2014, and that was 42-21. And I think Alabama rolled up about 650 yards or so on, on a on a Will Muschamp Florida team that still had some defensive talent for sure at that time. So, you know, schematically, I think it is a challenge because Lane can present some things that are going to be difficult, and they've obviously been pretty prolific in almost every game this year, and South Carolina's had trouble scoring points. So even against Ole Miss, one of the worst defenses they'll play this year, keeping keeping pace on the scoreboard is going to be difficult. Yeah, it will be tough, and, and they have been good, and they, they, they have weapons, man. And I'm, I'm wondering sort of what their – do you have a feel for what their – split is as, as far as the offense and how much of it is lane how much of it is their oc it's always interesting when you have like an offensive minded guy how that is structured um do, do you have a feel for that you know so here's the interesting thing i remember um when so when when auburn came to town obviously then you had the chad morris and Gus Malzahn dynamic, right? So that was something we were all wondering, okay, who is called plays? And Morris is calling the plays right now. Um, Will Malzahn, you know, medal at some point maybe. But Will Muschamp even said that week, it's obvious that Chad Morris is calling the plays, you know, because that was a question going in. Lane obviously has been an offensive play caller as an OC, as a head coach. He's typically handled that. But they did bring in Jeff Levy. And Muschamp, when he was asked about it, you know, he sort of said, Jeff Levy's involved and, and sort of indicated that you don't really know. And so I haven't personally heard. Um, I think there are some blended concepts between the two. It seems like, and this is only going off. We'll, we'll ask, we need to ask Neil McCready that we're going to have Neil McCready from rebelgrove.com on tomorrow as a live guest on the show. And we'll ask him about that. Cause that's a good question. But uh, it seems like Levy's been very involved in, and maybe even being the primary play caller, but there's some carryover, you know, from a schematic standpoint. Yeah, that that would be interesting to see. And but either what, no, no matter who it is, they're doing a fantastic job, obviously, and mm-hmm. taking that talent, um, 
you know, and, and just sort of molding what they do. Now, I think, honestly, looking at some of the guys they have, they're probably a pretty good fit for any scheme. But uh, to their credit, they've taken what they inherited, and they're not trying to put a, you know, make it make it fit when it doesn't. So credit them for that. Defensively, Muschamp was on the SEC teleconference today and did not sort of give – didn't say much of anything at all. But one thing he did talk about was how Ole Miss's defense, as the year has progressed, has actually shown some improvement. So this is, this is a game where I still think – that South Carolina is going to have a chance to move the football offensively. Certainly a better matchup. I mean, you just look at the talent that Texas A&M has sort of accumulated versus the talent Ole Miss has on defense, and it, it is going to be a, a greater opportunity to move the football for South Carolina. The, the and it's going to be it's going to be a broken record alert here, but obviously for South Carolina, every game the question is always going to be what can they do. As far as finishing drives, they're not explosive enough to have the big plays, so they do have to sort of have these long, time-consuming, uh, not big play drives, but more multi-play drives. And you know, the interesting thing there is always going to be: can they finish these drives against their opponents? That is, that's key. Um, you know, can you can you prevent explosive touchdown plays for Ole Miss? Try to. We're going to talk about this every week. I mean, for this team, and we talked about it going into A and M, and the answer was no. You know, can can they? Even though the other team's going to move the ball, and you anticipate that, can the Gamecock defense hunker down in the red zone, force field goals? The answer last week was no, uh, among a variety of other issues, and so that's going to be there again this week. And for South Carolina, there is going to be an element of needing to control the tempo. You know, to control possession of this game. You don't want to get in a shootout with this team because that's not what South Carolina is built for. You want to get in a situation where you can keep them between the 20s, right, and and force some field goals. If you're fortunate enough to get some turnovers, that would certainly help. But offensively, they've got to take the ball, take care of the football. can't give this team extra possessions. You can't give them a really good field position. They're going to have to move the chains, and they've got to cash in and take advantage when they ha- when they do have scoring opportunities. If they get chances in the red zone, if they get chances for explosive plays like the one we saw early in the game, the Jalen Brooks drop against Texas A&M, and they do not take advantage of those, I think we'll know pretty quickly that it's going to be, you know, certainly have the potential to be a long day. Now, if if you do want a little bit of reason for um, – maybe a reason for some positivity, at least in that category, that's an area where Ole Miss and Kiffin talked about that during his press conference – that's an area that Ole Miss has not been good. That has been the red zone. Their their ability to make first downs off the charts. Their ability to move the football off the charts. Really up there, not just in the SEC, but they're up there with anybody else in the entire uh, nation as far as their ability on offense to move the football. Now, if you if you look at red zone, both offensively and defensively, that is sort of the Almost the Achilles heel for this Mississippi team. They're scoring, let's see, red zone percentage. They're only scoring 71.05% of the time that they get into the red zone on offense. And for those who don't really follow that stat, that's 12th 
in the SEC. The stat that I actually look at even more than that, Chris, is what percentage of the time are you scoring touchdowns? And they're a little bit better in that category. They're at six, almost 66%, which is fifth in the SEC. South Carolina is actually fourth in the conference in touchdown percentage in the red zone. So when South Carolina gets there, they actually tend to do pretty well. They've only had the 18 attempts in the red zone, which and that's in six games, which is sort of the sort of the bottom, but mi- middle the bottom of the middle part of the conference. But um, some teams only have five games, so take that for what you will. Now, opponent red zone conversions. So Ole Miss defensively has been, let's see, really really bad. 90, 90% of the time, an opponent gets to the red zone against Mississippi, they score. But, again, going back to the even bigger concern, I think if you're an offensive or defensive coach, depending on what side of it you're on, you want to score touchdowns if you're on offense, and you want to force field goals. If you get a turnover, great, but those are really hard to predict. I think from a statistical standpoint, who forces – who forces field goals, you know, and who scores touchdowns. And for Mississippi, the touchdowns have been an issue on on defense because almost 77% of the time that somebody gets in the red zone against them, they have surrendered a touchdown. So statistically, that that may be an area where you find an edge. But problem being, obviously for South Carolina, you're still facing a very prolific offense. If you give up big plays – you know, and can't move the ball in offense, and then you're going to have trouble anyway. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and, and that has been – look, has the defense for South Carolina been good this year? No, but one of the issues that has not helped them – or several of the issues, actually. There are a few of them. A lot of times they've been faced with poor field position, right, because South Carolina has backed itself up, um, maybe, maybe being backed up and then a poor punt. So the opponent's getting field position around midfield as opposed to being backed up you know, inside their 10 or even a regular starting field position around the 25 to 35 is something you much rather see. And then they've also, you know, been on the field a lot. And so you look at some situations where they wear down in the second half and your offense isn't giving you any help, um, then you could be in trouble there. So we, we talk a lot about complementary football and all three phases being married and especially offense and defense really being married together. And it hasn't clicked for South Carolina these past two weeks, um, you know, defensively they've given up too many long drives too many explosive plays they their third down percentage after starting the season very good has absolutely tanked the past couple weeks and a big reason for that is they haven't been able to stop the run and so that extends drives that tires out your defense it takes away your opportunities on offense to get positive field position if you're getting a stop if you're finally getting your opponent off the field now you're getting the ball instead of your opponent scoring and kicking off and you get the ball at the you know, the 25 or so, which is what they face too often, you know, if you can get a stop, now you're getting it in the 40. Maybe you're even getting it at midfield opponent territory. And for an offense that's not super explosive, that's huge. And so the the parts, you know, all the different parts of your football team, they just haven't been complimentary enough. They haven't been clicking all together for South Carolina. And that's that's if you're not a super explosive team, that's what you've got to have. Let's go to the chat here and some discussion about the defense and sort of sort of how how do you quantify the fact that 
your offense isn't able to stay on the field. And, you know, it, 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 do, it does make it more difficult for a defense. But I, I think, as Anthony points out, the, the issue there is – some some of some of that is on some of the time of possession is on the defense. You know, it's if yeah. you can't if you're not forcing any three and outs for yourself, you know, even early in the game, that's that's on the defensive side of the ball. You can't look at it just from a standpoint of well, the offense. Now, now, granted, is the offense helping by going three and out itself? No, a- absolutely not. But with, with the A and M game, you unfortunately for Carolina had a situation where both sides I thought were equally bad. And, you know, were were there a few early signs maybe the defense, uh, you know, was going to stand up and and play a bit better? Yeah, probably a little bit. But, dude, I I think even – I mean, I don't don't know what the numbers are as far as A&M drives and drives that they scored on, but I I know it was still way too many. And so – I think the prop the problem and the scary part for Carolina fans is really that just South Carolina on both sides of the football uh, did, did not play well against Texas A and M, and that when that happens, I mean I I'm I think A and M could have scored even more is is the scary part. So Absolutely. It, it's it, it's kind of a, a thing where phenomenal doesn't just you'll, you'll never be in the game if if that happens on on both sides of the ball. Continued conversation about quarterback going on in our chat. From what I've been told today, uh, you know, both guys being Holinsky and Hill have continued to sort of fight it out. Muschamp has continued to say maybe all three guys get to play, but also in the same breath sort of admitted on Tuesday that Luke Cody has more of like a, a quarterback package as opposed to giving him the entire playbook. So when when he says two, maybe three guys, I sort of take it. I I feel like Luke Doty is definitely going to play, but one of the two other guys is definitely going to start. It is the way I kind of would handicap this thing right now. Yeah. Now whether it's Alinsky and Doty, whether it's Hill and Doty, you know we'll find out. I, I think as the week has gone on, from what I've heard, it's it's been more of a it's been a bona fide competition. I think they legitimately are going to let it play out and see what happens on Saturday. But I've, I've got to think if you're truly looking for a spark, if you're truly looking to see if a guy can can sort of energize your offense, then to me, regardless of if you even truly think it's going to make a difference because other guys on offense are going to have to step up as well, you, you've got to give it a shot and just see and, and maybe see what Ryan Helensky can do. Yeah, and, and that's why when you go back to Spark and, and some of Muschamp's comments on Tuesday, maybe give it away a little bit with, with what they're looking for there and that, you know, that is a position on offense where you can make a personnel change, a guy that touches the ball every play, and he can maybe just give a different look, give a spark. So. That's why so many people are pointing now to Ryan Helensky as that changeup playing Doty more sure, but it's been it's made, been made clear even publicly that he's got you know a package. You know he's not going to go out there and be the starter. He's not going to go out there and have everything on him as a true freshman with limited experience. But I've heard the same as you, Wes. Um, you know I think we've all, maybe not all, but we I think speaking for both of us, 
I think we've been sort of waiting for a point of do we hear, okay, this particular guy, maybe Ryan, is taking the majority of the first team reps, reps, but we have not heard that so far, right? We, we continue to hear that both guys, you know, are taking reps and then Luke Doty obviously getting some work in his package. So uh, we'll see. It does seem like, and we talked about this, you know, Monday, Tuesday, and today, it does seem like the tea leaves have been reading a little bit more of, of making a change, you know, to get that spark that you're looking for. But at the same time, it, it appears that with the way they've handled it in practice, that they're still, like you said, I think it's a good way to put it, letting it play out. Yeah, I think so. And that's, you know, it's, it's Wednesday and they, they practice in the morning. So they, they've already practiced for today as well. So that means you only have really sort of a, a light deal tomorrow, a, a Friday walkthrough, and then the game day walkthrough as well. So for the most part, I would probably think, Chris, that they they have a decent idea what they want to do. But I, I think they just want to let it let it play out and, and see what happens as far as actually on the field in practice. So we'll see. Um, there's a question about Joiner. I mean, Joiner's been so focused on wide receiver. It's really not even a consideration to put him in at quarterback at, at this point. And it really would not be fair to him either. You know, I, I mean, he, he's put all of his attention on that position, uh, you know, playing wide receiver. And the question is, do I think Joiner should stay at receiver or go back to quarterback? I, I mean, at this point, I, I think – he should stay at receiver because he's put in so much time and trying to sort of learn that position and get comfortable there. And I don't think he would be above, you know, frankly, the other guys at quarterback right now, or, or he wouldn't have, have moved to, to receiver. So uh, that's how I feel on that one. You want to go big picture now, Chris, a little bit? Let's talk big picture. And uh, let me tell the viewers about dead Soxie first. Now we're about the midway point of our hour. So Dead Soxy, D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y. Make sure you visit DeadSoxy.com. Their patented technology to prevent uh, their crew and their no-show socks from sliding down. You can be assured you won't have to lose the battle with that dreaded sock slippage. Kickstart some positive vibes into your wardrobe by heading over to DeadSoxy.com. Again, that's D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y. They have a special promo code for our listeners and our viewers here on GC Live. Enter the code COCKY at checkout, and you'll get 30% off your entire order. So really cool no-show socks, uh, really cool boardroom line dress socks. Wes, you've been liking yours that you got to check out. Really good stuff. We've tried them on. We like them a lot here at GC Live. So make sure you check out deadsoxy.com. 30% off with the promo code COCKY. Yeah, use our code COCKY. And you will uh, be hooked up there. Everybody likes a little deal. So go check that out uh, with promo code COCKY. Um, yeah, and definitely happy Veterans Day to all of our veterans there, including Ernest, who um, is a veteran and I, I would say a loyal viewer of our show here. And I'm sure we have several other veterans on here. So happy Veterans Day to all of you. And thank you for our service uh, to any and all of you. Let's see a question from Travis. Any updates on Marshawn Lloyd? Nothing other than the fact that I think things are have gone well as far as his, you know, rehab and, and all that stuff. The surgery went well, we heard. You saw him. That was the first time, and maybe I missed him because I, I wasn't there in person, but for the other games that I was there in person this past week, 
that's the first time I've seen him on the uh, on the sideline. And obviously it had been a few weeks since South Carolina had been at home for a game. So maybe it was just sort of the part, the point in the process of his rehabilitation where he's able to sort of feel comfortable doing that. But had you seen him down there before, Chris? I'm not recalling, you know, when you, when you said that it sort of clicked that I'm, I'm not sure that I've seen him. So I have been at all the games this year. I don't remember seeing him, but I could be, uh, could have just slipped my mind, but yeah, I, I, he was much more noticeable. If so, standing down there on the sidelines, he, he's hard to miss. I feel like, like, I, I don't know. He, he's not a tall guy, but he does sort of have a presence about him and yeah. he's just, Maybe it's just because he's so well known. You know, he's Marshawn Lloyd, five-star guy. But, yeah, so seeing him down there was good. And I, I think you – obviously, South Carolina fans still are very excited to, to one day get to watch him run and get to see him on the field. But, yeah, let, let's talk a little big picture, man. I, I would say we've now we, – we've seen six games worth of data with this team. And – how, how how did it get to this point? You know, it's obviously a question many people have, have asked. And I, I think maybe we start with receiver just because that's a fairly easy one because I think we, we've been talking about that position for, for months now. And there was some hope maybe a guy steps up, maybe two guys step up. It ha- It just has not happened. And that that's a position where – it seems like you you don't really teams don't struggle to fill that position. Now you may struggle to get elite elite guys at that spot. It's always hard to get elite guys, but most teams have solid wide receivers. Right. It, it's I think it's been difficult for people to accept how South Carolina basically has had one proven guy and then several other guys that they were hoping could step up, but that it just has not happened. And I think, man, when you, when you have these third down situations, if you can't run the football, you can't, you know, you get yourself in these third and longs and you don't have that sort of go-to elite guy to go make a play for you, then you can really struggle on offense. So how, in your opinion, and I, I think it, it always is a combination of things, but how is South Carolina at the point right now that they are at, at the wide receiver position? Well, I think it goes back to recruiting. It does. Um, and let's be real. There's a lot of talk about coaching, scheming, et cetera, development. Those things are really important because really good coaching staffs are going to squeeze the most out of their entire team. You know, individual positions, units, special teams, offense, defense. But I said this yesterday. We'll say it a lot. You know, the best teams have the most talent and they don't have a lot of holes on the team. And so receivers a hole for this team. So you look at it and you say, why? Well, <clears throat> I think you always have to trace it back. You know, when Will Muschamp got to South Carolina, we remember the 2015 season before. Right. And we remember how it was in a similar boat then. They had a redshirt freshman, Debo Samuel, who didn't do much at that time. And obviously he developed and blossomed into a really, really good player. Um, but you remember, Wes, at the end of the Spurrier era, there was a lot of talk about how did it get here with receivers? Well, it was also recruiting. And so when Muschamp arrived at South Carolina, 
it would be fair, and I'll criticize some more, you know, current situation later, but to start at the beginning, there was there were issues with there weren't a lot of receivers on the roster. They had Debo Samuel, who we thought would be a good player, and he certainly developed into such. Um, at, but after that, beyond that, there wasn't a ton. They got Brian Edwards, who had committed to Steve Spurrier, decommitted, recommitted to the staff when Muschamp got into town. Um, from there, just taking a big picture approach, there have just been too many misses, I guess you could say, at the receiver position. There have been situations like Chad Terrell, um, who has been injured. He's had two ACL injuries. This year you had uh, – well, last year, Ortre Smith couldn't play because of the sublux kneecap. This year he opts out. Randrikas Davis has battled injuries his entire career. This year he opts out. They probably could have helped at a minimum. Josh Van is not – developed as anticipated he'll show flashes just like he did against a&m hasn't developed into a consistent player you know to carry on joiner moved over from quarterback so i think in general you just trace the problem at wide receiver to recruiting whether it's too many misses injuries i think it's just been a confluence of different things but it all goes back to the fact that from a recruiting standpoint there haven't been enough quality wide receivers recruited and and that can be a complex reason as to why but that's what it boils down to confluence is our word of the day by the way well done chris um thank you if i had a little soundboard like on 107.5 i'd do a little uh, golf clap thing for you as we are on uh, master's week by the way did you did y'all see the shot on twitter yeah of um Same. the guy skipping it and I, I don't i'm not a big golf person but that was amazing that was. That was absolutely amazing. But, but yeah, I think misses and injuries, as Russ says there in the chat, absolutely. Could, could South Carolina have used the sort of – the Ortre Smith we saw as a freshman? Sure. Could, you know, and even let, – let's say the, the Ortre Smith as a freshman – and then him being able to develop into what he would be could be now based on what we saw of him as a freshman even. Then all of a sudden, you know, may, may, maybe things, maybe you feel a little different. Would it have changed the entire complexion of this offense? No, probably not. I'm not going that far. But could it have helped? <laughs> Absolutely. Just having one other guy that you could even, you could put on the, you could line him up on the opposite side, you know, of shy, um, you know, opposite side of whatever side Shy is on in the slot. Yes, I, I think that that could have been helpful. Now, even then, would we probably be saying, "Why hasn't a third receiver stepped up?" Yes, and it, I think in in recruiting, you're, you're always going to have misses. Every coach, every position, and it's for it's for different reasons. And I um, I don't know if y'all just heard that, but hopefully, um, I keep our connection here because. There's a crazy thunderstorm going on right above my house right now, it sounds like. So hopefully the connection hangs in there. Sometimes Tom Warner struggles when it rains really bad. But anyway, whenever you you have to recruit – I always look at recruiting like this. You, you need some elite just no-brainers along the way. Everybody knows that. You need a, a Marshawn Lloyd at running back, an absolute – there's – very when you sign a Marshawn Lloyd, there is very little reason to believe that guy's not gonna help your football team get better. But then 
you have to sign enough guys who I, I call them have a chance guys. And some of the guys that sort of have a chance develop into really helping you. And some of the guys don't. These are sort of your, your three-star type guys. A, you need to evaluate well on your three-star type guys. But you also have to sign enough of them that when you sort of have that split, that you have enough of the ones that work out that you're fine at, at that position group. And, you know, with South Carolina, between injuries and kids moving, you know, from tight end, M- Mullins was, was one of their three receivers in a class. And Mullins moves to tight end. So now you're talking about two receivers in, in that class. So I, I don't know if maybe they need to sign one or two more along the way as well. I think there's been an injury situation, a evaluation situation, and maybe even a quantity situation that has all led to the issue South Carolina is in right now. And, you know, I think you, you look at the current class right now, and still there's there's not just that no-brainer right. five-star guy. You have Now you have several that fit into that mold I'm talking about. They have a chance. How are, are they going to be workers? Are they going to come in? The, the guys that are in that category that really come in and help you are the ones that are that just refuse not to be good. And what I mean by that is that they are going to bust their tail to be a self-starter and put themselves in a situation to, to help your team. Yeah, and, and I think, you, like you said, you need a, a mix of those guys. You look at any team that's had big success and big success because right, that's what everybody's goal is is as a fan or should be, um, and they do have a mix. Um, they tend to have more no-brainers <laughs> than anything, and so that's the point that you have to get to and build. But, you know, when you, whether you're looking at receiver or even some other positions, safety is one we've talked about a ton going into this year and, and are still talking about. Uh, it's been the same thing, right? It's been some some misses, some numbers issues, some injuries, some weird things that have happened, you know, along the way. And it's all come together to where you've got that situation. Now, now safety's a little bit better than it was last year, right? Or even a couple years ago where you're down to like two healthy guys, but it, it hasn't been good, you know? And, and we saw last week they were down a couple guys at safety as well. So uh, I think there are a few spots on this team that fit into that. And so, you know, uh, some of it's – none of that's a surprise. You know, we, we knew that safety might be a little better. It's still a question. I think linebacker is the one that's become a bigger question than maybe anticipated because of the injuries to Sherrod Green, Rosendo Lewis not coming back. But we knew receiver was going to be an issue. The question was, can can any guys step up, whether it's Brooks or Van or Xavier Leggett, whoever it may be, and that has not happened so far. But I do think it goes back to having that question in the first place they went into the season with it being such a huge question mark. And and that was the biggest issue. Question from Ernest. Do we think shy will return or too early still? I I mean, I I think it's probably too early, Chris. Don't you feel like there's too many uh, variables there to really have a feel for that at this point? Probably so. You know, it's, I think in a general sense, it it seems like seniors who are are at least going to have a chance to move on to the pros you would think that that's probably the route that most of them are going to take. Um, and I've always sort of gotten that sense with Shy, but it's really just a sense. And, and so, no, we haven't heard anything concrete 
on what he may end up doing after the year. Something I think we'll have a better sense for, you know, at the end of the year. And will certainly be a big um, question this offseason. Probably one of your bigger questions is what what does that position look like without a shy Smith in the rotation? Potentially, that is really a a scary thought for South Carolina fans. Now, I do think somebody mentioned it above in the chat. I already lost it, but transfer transfer portal has to be something South Carolina will look at 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 multiple positions, I believe, but certainly at at wide receiver. And but again, it's about finding the right guy, finding someone who can come in and. really be be at least a number two type receiver, but ideally a number one type receiver in that room. Yeah, I mean, th- that is, like you said, it, it's even – I think it's even scarier next year than this season when you think about it because of losing Shai Smith, you know. Um, you know, the, the past couple seasons, it's been, okay, you've got Samuel and Edwards and a young Shai Smith, and then it was, okay, now you've just got Edwards and Smith and – this year it's just Smith, and then it's, you know, who is it, you know? And so banking on the transfer portal, while it could be helpful, and I think it'll probably be one of the more active periods that we've seen just in general in college football, but especially for South Carolina this offseason, no matter what that ends up looking like, uh, that is a scary proposition. You don't want to go into a year saying, if we're going to have productivity at this spot it's going to have to be through the transfer portal that's that's sort of an unsettling thought you know to have we're going to have to develop some younger guys who are already on this team or even older guys and we're going to have to hit the transfer portal it it makes sense and that's what that's the route they're going to have to go but it's still unsettling yeah it it is but also what it is (laughs) what what it is what choice do you have yeah that's what that's where they're at so it's better. It's better than not having a transfer portal. It is. Then it becomes way. Yeah, it's even worse at that point. But but can you get? I mean, what if um, you know, and, and we're getting into the weeds on this, but there are going to be other Power Five teams who have holes at receiver too. Mm-hmm. It's not like I mean, are there going to be fifty players who are really really good? And when I say good, like you want to get some players who are difference makers, whether it's in recruiting the transfer portal. Are there going to be enough difference makers to where you can go out and get a couple of them? I mean, I don't know. We, we don't. We don't know that. Probably not. Alshon Al- Al- Jeffrey ain't ain't magically appearing in the transfer the portal. portal. Right. Right. So there you go. I, I think. I think at that position and really other positions, for the most part, man, you need to have your bona fide studs be from from high school now can you supplement a position yeah with with that very much you know there's the potential for that but can you find a team full of just superstars and that are sec level superstars in in the transfer portal no not happening in in my opinion so all right as, as we get to the final 10 minutes here Defense, I I have, and I've said this already, but I'll say it again. I have to admit, I completely overrated what I thought this defense was going to be capable of this year preseason. 
compared to what it is through six games. And I will say the the one little thought in the that one little voice in the back of my head that we sometimes ignore and that I sort of chalked up to eh that's there's way more evidence that South Carolina is going to be pretty good on defense. But you all hindsight being 2020 is what I'm getting at. When you go back and think about preseason, remember all that talk about how – and we even talked about this to an extent. We are like, man, that's weird that they keep talking about how the receivers need to step up, which we knew. But then they're talking about how many explosive plays the offense is able to find within you know, preseason practice times. And then you're right. like, well, you know, maybe – Maybe it was like ones versus twos. And, you know, even in some of those cases, Muschamp came off the scrimmage pissed off about second-team D-line in, in one instance. But and he's probably still pissed off about that. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it has not subsided. But the, yeah. the, the, hint, the hint was right there. And then, but, you know, and we're not at practice. Certainly we're not at practice during COVID times. So – it's really hard to tell based on practice stuff. But the hint was right there, and that was that this offense, and they've been doing more, you know, they call it good versus good, one-on-one, ones versus ones, I should say, not one-on-one, but first team versus first team than they have probably at any point ever prior. The hint was there, and I'm I, knowing they lost Kinlaw, knowing they lost, um, you know, T.J. Brunson at linebacker who – really should have been talked about a little bit more as far as a guy that they were going to miss. I think DJ Wanham, who's playing really well, I feel like, it in the NFL for a rookie. We thought there would be the talent just to come in, though, and, and sort of minimize some of that damage. But that has not been the case, at least so far. No, it hasn't. And, you know, we knew losing Ken Law would be huge. Losing Wanham, You know, a lot of people thought of Ken Law as the biggest because he was – he, he had the most disruptive potential. He just dominated people at times. But D.J. Wanham was really good, man. I mean, he was. And and Brunson, like you said, another guy would think about the fact if you play Ernest Jones and T.J. Brunson and Sherrod Green, you know, and two of those, one has been permanently out of the equation and Brunson and Green has been missed for several weeks now. So they're perilously thin at linebacker. I mean, Ernest Jones has played a ton of snaps. Damani Staley has played a ton of snaps. Um, it's not an ideal situation, you know, defensively. And they, they've missed Aaron Sterling. And, you know, he didn't start one game. He played minimal in the other. Uh, he didn't play against A&M, did he? Aaron Sterling uh, did not play mm-hmm. Texas A&M. So you're playing a freshman there. Um, there's undersized at times on the defensive line. And, and that goes back to there's been some recruiting misses there, but also some guys like Rick Sandage have not come along and made that leap, as we said, mm-hmm. preseason need to do. Zach Pickens, still a sophomore. Jordan Birch, you know, is a true freshman. Um, and then in, in the secondary, you know, they have not been I – mean, J.C. Horn's been elite, you know, but none of the other guys – John Dixon, I think, has gotten better, but they've gotten picked on in some areas. Some teams have been able to exploit, you know, where are the weaknesses, and they've really gone after those. So even if Horn and Johnny Dixon or whoever else on a certain play is doing their job – offenses have been able to do enough to pick out other guys 
South Carolina hasn't been able to stop the run consistently. And so that's, again, all that has sort of just piled up. And um, it's not something I saw coming either in terms of the defense struggling to this degree. I didn't think it would be an elite group by any means. We said that a bunch of times. Uh, but I thought it would be a, a group that had a chance to be good, and, and it hasn't so far. And, and I thought this would be a defensive line that maybe at the beginning of the year would, would have some growing pains, but then sort of get better and better as the year went on. Not really sure that that's necessarily happening. So uh, let's see, hit a few more questions. Spencer said, why did we look so much smaller on defensive and offensive lines? I I would push back on the O-line looking smaller. You know, the, the O-line, I don't think size is the issue at all. But D-line certainly. And, you know, and I kind of, I'll be honest, I sort of minimized that. A few of our subscribers asked, hey, is, is South Carolina going to be too undersized in the middle? you know, with, with Kier and, and Jabari Ellis as, as your starters. And I sort of minimized it because the staff seemed really happy with what those guys were doing in practice. But, yes, it, against these run, really good run-blocking offensive lines, they have struggled against the bigger offensive lines, I would say. Um, WJM4 said, Champ said this was his best offensive line since he's been here. How is that working out? Did he ever say it was his best this preseason? I, have, I, know, I don't remember. I know you, you and I talked about saying – we said it that if the offense was going to be good this year, that the offense – the offensive line was going to have to carry the offense, that they were going to need to be the best unit. I don't think we ever predicted they'd be the best offensive line Muschamp has had. I know his his first year he said people jumped all over him because he said the the offensive line was going to be the strength – of the team, well, really, looking back, it was kind of because there were so many questions. They're so bad everywhere else. Yeah. yeah. Well, and so, and there's always a lot. If a, if an offense is struggling, everybody's always going to go the offensive line. Like that's just, or you look at a sack statistic, or you say, well, the quarterback got sacked four times the game. O line must stink. And I'm not saying we've talked about it plenty. One on one, they've gotten whipped too many times. A and M whipped them in every regard which was actually an outlier. That hasn't happened this season in terms of them getting whipped in the run game and the pass and pass protection. That just hadn't happened this year. Um, that was the worst game this group's had. Uh, but nothing, I mean, nothing really worked in that game at all. You know, the offensive line, I don't, I don't think has been the biggest issue on this offense or, or on this team. It's not even in the top few for me. Uh you know, they did find a while – it took a while to get what they think is the best combination. Um, I think there's been some brighter spots there at times. They stunk against A&M. Again, the entire offense did. Just call it like it is there. But, like, you look at LSU, they got whipped on a couple one-on-one pass rushes. That's going to happen against almost anybody you play when, when you when you play good teams. Um, but they were still able to run the ball effectively against LSU. Very effectively, they had to get away from that, obviously, later in that game. And uh, I think there has been some good things there in the run game. And a lot of times, these sacks, when you look at it, maybe a back's missing a protection. Maybe a tight end's missing a protection. And then we've talked about the quarterback issues. Colin Hill held the ball too long against LSU. One of the sacks to get saved in, they try to go tempo after a big Kevin Harris longest run of the game. They try to go tempo, immediately take a sack. You know, and and I don't remember what happened on the play. Maybe it was an O line breakdown, but you know, I just when I look at okay, what are the issues on offense? 
I think offensive line is, aside from running back, probably the last one. That, But that's just my opinion. And I'm not saying we don't need to talk about it as an issue, that it's been great, nobody talk about it, nobody worry about it. It's just lower on the totem pole for me. For me, it's a lot more about um, lack of playmakers. It's, it's really a huge one for me, what it comes down to. Yeah, and um, we could probably do a whole other hour show about the issues, honestly. Yeah. But that would be very depressing, I feel like, just to talk about all the all the negative. But anyway, all right, that, that's an hour. So I guess that's going to about do it. Uh, Chris, tell everybody about the game day chair real quick. Yeah, so the game day chair, as you know, AffordableMedicalUSA.com, our primary sponsor, the reason that we have our daily Monday through Friday Gamecock Central Live. Really appreciate their support. So make sure that you support them, too. The game day chair is the most comfortable uh, recliner-style chair that you'll ever see. Enhance your game day experience while you're watching at home, Netflix, NFL, whatever sport you may be watching, whatever movie you may be watching. The twilight position, which is the zero-gravity lay-flat TV watching, the lounge position. So call those guys at 803-926-1493. Or click the link that is on our YouTube description, our podcast description, or on GamecockCentral.com. It'll take you right there. Appreciate their support. All right, so tomorrow's show, 2 o'clock again. Go ahead and mark your calendars. I think the this has actually become probably one of our more popular segments, Chris. We will have, in, in this case, uh, it's going to be Neil, right? I know there's several guys on, on Ole Miss's site that do a great job. Uh, Neil McCready. He writes for revelgrove.com, but also they, they have a podcast that probably, as far as team sites go, is one of the more popular podcasts on the planet, I think, literally. like They do a daily one as well, very popular. They do some YouTube stuff as well. So we'll have Neil on. He'll give us the, the lowdown on Ole Miss, what to expect from those guys, and sort of some deeper insight from somebody who sees them all the time, sees them every day as opposed to us who are sort of trying to read up on them and, and see what we can learn here in, in a week's time, basically. So that, that's always, I feel like, one of our more popular segments. Show will be at 2. He'll be on at some point, probably more like 2.15, I think is generally what we do. But that'll be fun. He'll give us some insight. And if you all want to ask questions, I'm sure he'll be willing to, to take a couple of questions as well. So you got anything else, man? Not looking forward to talking to Neil. He does an awesome job covering Ole Miss, so – Looking forward to picking his brain on Lane Kiffin. Maybe maybe we talk about Hugh Freeze a little bit. Just saying. Maybe we will. Um, all, right, all right, guys. Um, appreciate the show. Appreciate y'all watching, listening, however you consume the show. We appreciate it. And uh, happy Veterans Day again as well. Thanks to all of our vets um, who have served this country. And appreciate um, all of you that are on here and, and may hear the show. So, All right, y'all. Talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.